Hi everyone, it's Max Forsyth here, your host and founder of the Comms Coffee Club podcast and Comms Search and Selection, the executive search and recruitment firm covering the in-house market based in the UK, but also covering the US. Uh, so welcome to episode eight of the Commerce Coffee Club podcast with the great James Banks, who's the current uh, head of marketing and communications for the infrastructure business ACOM. It's a great episode. We chat all things infrastructure comms right through to uh, his time previously as a journalist and a freelance journalist, war correspondent as well. Um, But prior to that, uh, he was a captain in the British Army uh, and fought out in Afghanistan. uh, And we also discussed the time where he was in charge of hosting an ITV news crew uh, who went out on patrol with them and what that was like looking after them. Uh, They also got caught in a crossfire and engagement uh, with the Taliban. So uh, that was great speaking about that and what that was like uh, trying to be a soldier, but also very aware that you have a journalist with you. So really looking forward to this one. Hope you like it. Once again, don't forget to like, subscribe and follow on YouTube uh, and whichever podcast app you choose to listen to this on and look forward to your comments. And here is Mr. James Banks. So, James Banks, welcome to the Comms Coffee Club podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Max. No worries. Pleasure. How's your week been? Uh, Yeah, it's it's been busy. It's been busy. It's always busy um, at ACOM. It's always uh, challenging and rewarding at the same time, obviously, is what I'm going to say. Nice. Super. And obviously, uh, it's Friday uh, when we're recording this, so nearly the weekend. Almost almost there. Final push. Final push. Although I... you know, now that we've all embracing this, you know, hybrid working and, you know, we're all trying to be in the office, sort of flatten the curve and make sure that we are there on Mondays and Fridays. But today I am at home. But I, I always found when we were in the office Monday to Friday, that Friday afternoons were always the, the, the foot came off the gas a little bit. And you yeah, yeah. OK, I might leave a bit early, et cetera. Whereas now I find yeah. Friday afternoons are the, sometimes the busiest part of my week in that kind of mad dash to get stuff done before I actually hit the weekend. So, yeah. It's a different, nice. different it's a different, yeah, 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 well, yeah, you know, kind of changing world and changing ways of working, it's, uh, yeah, it's been an interesting few years. Um, right, super, should we get into it? Uh, so, first question, which I always start with, let's wind the clock back, how did you get into communications? Uh, okay, so, um, I, I was a journalist, um, I was a broadcast journalist, I worked for... Uh, freelance for for a number of different organizations different broadcasters from british forces broadcasting sky news itv news mm. uh, at a time bit of time at london live as well uh and various yes. others as well along the, along the road and um i'd uh, i would say that journalism is the, the second of my three careers and we can perhaps touch on the first one later on but mm. um i was a journalist absolutely loving journalism doing a lot of work, as I say, Sky and ITV were probably the, the two key um, broadcasters that I worked for. Really, really busy, really challenging, huge, huge variety of stories that I was covering. Um, mm. And then I got to my mid-30s, and, and I, to be honest, I thought, right, I need a career that I can I can invest in a little bit more. Yes. And a little a career that I can see some more structure. Um, 
uh, and something I've got, I feel like I've got a bit more control over. Uh, and so I took the mm. decision to, to, to change and, and to move into the world of comms, um, yes. which was, I suppose it wasn't, I think a lot of journalists are probably, when I was very guilty of that, think that they're going to walk out of uh, a job as a TV reporter and straight into something that's going to be really set the world on fire uh, in, <laughs> in, in comms. And some people do. And, you know, I was pretty lucky to find a job pretty quickly, but it wasn't as quick yes. as I expected. Um, and it was challenging and it, and it was a very, very steep learning curve. Um, and very, very interesting being thrown onto the other side of the phone line or the other side of the camera uh, and having mm. to learn quickly. And there was a lot of naivety for me, definitely, uh, being a journalist and understanding mm. how organizations communicate and what they should be doing and then suddenly being on the other side and going, oh, okay. Right. Okay. I get it now. I get it now. So, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. I was a journalist like, like many other people who work in communications and, uh, yeah. I made the, the, the jump in my mid thirties, which was, yeah, uh, eight eight years ago now. So um, hmm. it's it's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. And what would you say the biggest difference was, or that or that sort of learning curve you reference? Yeah. What was the biggest shock to you when you when you jumped over the other side? Um, I suppose it was the often it's the internal politics of of, of communications and. And just mm. thinking about all the other impacts of what you might say or might do externally, um, I think that was probably the, the biggest part of it for me was that really kind of thinking, okay, well, this isn't just about the story on the day for this organisation. It's a story that's going to run and run. and It's a story that's going to impact other clients. It's a story that's going to impact other projects. And so there's lots mm. of other things going on in the background. Um and, you know, people have got very busy lives. Uh, and whilst yes. as a communicator, I would always think that that's the most important thing. And it's the most in- thing that everyone should think about as soon as they step out of bed in the morning. But actually, there are lots mm. of things going on. So to find people's time and to get the right person and get the right person briefed as well. I think that was a level of naivety I had was that surely every leader in every organization is completely up to speed on everything that could potentially be going wrong or right for an organization. And so therefore, at the drop of a hat, come and speak to ITV London about what's going on or Sky News about what's going on. Yes. That is extremely naive of me. I admit that. Um, mm. So understanding, well, OK, there needs to be work done in the background. There needs to be people briefed, not necessarily because it's a negative story, just about making sure that the right messages are in play. And, and actually that every time an organization communicates externally, that they're using that to the, the full advantage. They're thinking about the key messages. They're thinking about the wider impact. And they're thinking about how they can make the most out of, of that situation. Um, so yeah, it was um, yes, it was a steep learning curve, but I, I really enjoyed the the transition. Mm. Although I'm imagining, in terms of briefing people internally, um, with your journalist hat on, I guess you'll recognise and know that you'll book them to talk about one thing, and of course, most of the interview will be about that. But you have to make sure you've covered off anything else that could potentially be asked that might be a little bit more tricky. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I found that the credentials that I had and the fact that you know I've been on the other side was tremendously useful um, when you would talk to anybody within an organisation and say, look, this is potentially what you might get asked. This is potentially what might happen. And if, if somebody then come back and say, well, I don't think that's the case, James, I'd say, well, I can, I can tell you that's exactly what I would do. And that, and, yes. and 
within the yeah, first yeah, yeah. few months of changing over, you could say, well, that's what I was doing two weeks ago. Um, so that that did help certainly give me some gravitas and get me some impact in in with with key internal stakeholders. Um, yes. But but at the same time, trying to get people not to be too afraid of it as well, and just thinking actually, well, mm. you know, if he's, some of these stories, you know, if you look at negative stories, it's it's, it's not going away. Um, so we've got to use this, and and sometimes mm. we're crying out and in-house for people to be looking at us and asking us questions and putting us on TV or whatever, we're crying out for that attention. Yes. And so therefore, if there is an opportunity and there is something we can do that, you know, there are various negative stories and there are some that you aren't going to be using as an opportunity, but how can you turn that opportunity around and how can you turn what perhaps potentially was a slightly negative approach from a journalist and turn it around into a, a more, more positive story for you as an organisation? Mm, mm, yes, I, and your first in-house gig, uh that network rail wasn't it, it was right? a network rail yeah um and it, you know i just took touched on it then the fact was that um yeah i'd gone i was working at itv london beforehand and i'd done quite a few stories um on network uh, rail on network <laughs> rail then they weren't, weren't funny enough weren't, weren't a lot of them weren't very positive um yes and so i was able to say and actually i ended up you know one of the first campaigns i i worked on I ended up um, kind of saying that, you know, that two weeks ago I was doing this story from the other side and I don't think you handled it very well. Uh, and that's why the stories come back and it will continue to come back until you take it seriously. Um, mm. But there was also a very odd period when I got the job at Network Rail and I was actually dispatched from ITV London to go store, do a story about Network Rail, which was quite odd. And But I had to sort of fully declare, can we make, what story is this? Is Because you know I'm going to go and work there. So can we just be clear? Yeah, 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 yeah. Was a positive yeah. story that time around. So that was yeah. Okay. yeah. No, but I think, yeah, you know, also that's one of those gigs. I think, um, yeah, you know, you do, you do have some sympathy with Network Rail. I think it's one of those where, yeah, certainly for someone like an ITV London, it's either, it's either rail strikes or engineering works over bank holidays and yeah. um yeah, yeah it's never it yeah kind of that's never the easiest brief to be uh to be sort of walked out and trotted out in front of the camera for so no it's not it's not um i mean i i, I only worked for network rail i was only there for about six months but it i talk about it a hell of a lot i talk a lot a lot that this the work that i did there and the the lessons i learned i had to learn really quickly you know, mm. going straight into a really busy press office that, gosh, yeah, the phones are ringing nonstop and having to deal with things. And again, that's the kind of, okay, going behind the scenes and suddenly finding yourself as the, you know, as media relations manager there, suddenly find yourself as the fairly junior member of staff having mm. conversations with the managing directors of various routes or the project managers or the direct project directors about really significant things that are going on. And often you are left in the room to have that conversation because, you know you were kind of the most briefed up person so suddenly you're like okay yes. well I'll, my job is far more in depth than just being the guy that that writes a press release and picks up the phone and uh and and you know tr pushes out the lines to take it's yes. it's far more about the internal aspect mm. getting people together getting people organized getting them aligned getting to the the facts behind what the story is um yes. and then shaping the messaging around that um yeah Yes, and well, and also, I guess, very heavily unionized environment as well. So you've then yeah. got that added element yeah. to uh, to consider yeah. as well. Um, and I think you learn very quickly, and I, you still talk about this now at Acom. And I was talking about this with someone the other day about some internal communications um, that we're issuing, and saying, look, you know, the point is that I really 
really what I ask of the, the senior leadership is when you're speaking to my comms teams, don't tell them what you think they should be told because that's what you think the comms should be. Tell them the truth. Mm. Tell them what the facts are. They're the comms yes. professionals. They will work out the messaging based on the facts. Don't skip a few steps and tell them what you think is what we should communicate because we'll miss things. Um, you need to yes. establish that really high level of trust. And, and I got some great mm. feedback about one of my team the other day from one of our senior leaders saying, you know, I really, really like working with this this person because they really push back and they really kept questioning. No, 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 no. Don't exactly what I said. Don't tell me what you think I want to hear. Tell me what the, what's the actual story. Mm. What are we actually trying to do? Yes. What are the pain points? What are the, what's the good news? Give me the, give me the, um, you know, the walls and the full lay of the land. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Trust me to then create the messaging around it. And the results that we see when we, when that happens are, are far, far better than when somebody is, you know, the usual, I mean, we all talk about this. Don't bring comms in at the late stage. You know, it's that thing, isn't it? Well, we've, we've figured it all out. Let's yes. just get comms in to send out an email or whatever it is. And that's just a disaster waiting to happen. Well, yeah, quite. And, um, you know, I think also particularly nowadays where um, yeah, investigative journalism, in inverted commas, um, I guess you don't even need to be an investigative journalist now with, now with Google, social media, et cetera. Any, any decent journo, go digging. And yeah. if you haven't been fully open and honest with your comms team, yeah, you can't go running to them and blaming them. No, exactly. When you, exactly. When you go out with one statement, and um, then it turns out that, that maybe that's not quite the whole truth. Um, yeah, and also yeah. look, working like you know, the company I work for now, Acom, is a it's a global infrastructure consultancy. Hmm. We've got lots of you know, it's the classic matrix organisation. So there are lots and lots of different agendas internally, and if you don't get to the bare bones of of something, then you can't understand what the impact might be on other parts of the business. So again, and we found when we find this constantly that the, the marketing and comms team, which is the team that I lead, so not just within communications, they've got a much bigger role than just that that influence piece externally or internally. Mm. There's a lot about bringing people together, bringing those the various people who are involved in whatever project it is or whatever internal change project it is, really bring them together and getting them to understand what the strategy is and what we need to be doing to to ensure that we are communicating to whichever key audiences in, in mind mm, um, so mm, i always you know the people that do well in my team are those that realize that they've got a really significant role to play in in bringing people together internally and pushing back and asking the right questions and having the confidence in their own ability to to shape those communications mm. yeah that pushing back thing i think yeah really important but also particularly for anyone at the at manager level who listens to this probably the number one takeaway actually will be yeah don't be afraid to push back and don't be afraid to ask questions and don't be afraid to you know challenge a senior person i know sometimes it it can feel a little bit intimidating when you're not that experienced but actually most of the good uh, ones they like it of course of course and that's the thing it's not about it's not about being you know of course it's not about being disrespectful it's just actually really interrogating that that conversation mm. and saying right okay so so what are we doing here? So what's what does good look like? You know, what let's talk go back to the very start. What's the problem? What are we doing? Or what's this, you know, what's going well? You know, what, but, but ultimately what does success look like? And what are we trying to achieve here? You know, everything mm. that we do within the marketing and comms team at ACOM is about supporting 
well, not everything. Well, yeah, everything is. It's about supporting growth of the business, and that's that includes our internal communications and ensuring that you know, employee ad- ad- advocacy is in place. Um, that we're mm. inspiring our colleagues to stay and work at Acom. We're recruiting the next generation of colleagues to come in, but we're also letting mm. our clients know what what we can bring and how we can offer the solutions that are going to answer answer their their most complex challenges. Mm. So, having those serious conversations with the business to say, look, we're not here just to put a banner up or put out a press release or put out mm. a, we do, we, do we do we put out an x now or is it still putting out a tweet on x i don't know but that's that shows uh, where I'm what does elon call it I, I think he calls it a an a post a post, post on, on a, x okay. yeah yes so we're not here post. just to put out a yeah. post on x or a post on linkedin we're here yes. to support where the business is going so tell us about what your strategy is and if your strategy is not in place let us help you build that strategy and then we can work out on the mm. campaigns that are going to support that and ensure that that ultimately we're winning more work uh, and yes. a fully trained and happy workforce to deliver that work. Mm. Um, so I think, again, it's that having these honest conversations and, and getting people to understand and push back to say, this is not a now let's just get comms involved. This is about we need to be front and centre. We need to be at the very mm. heart of everything that you do to ensure that we are influencing the right people and we are... Mm. Uh, impacting those decisions and making sure yes. those decisions go our way. Yeah, no, yeah, kind of great points and yeah, strategy, planning, communications, it's all interlinked. It's but it's probably a it's probably a very nice segue actually to to go right back to the start to your first career that mm. you mentioned in the British Army as an officer, where of yeah. course strategy, planning don't talk, don't ask me to talk and about communications. That. <laughs> um yeah are, are integral yeah yeah they are they are and look um yeah so by background i my first career i, I was in the army i was a, an officer in the in the royal artillery um mm. so nothing to do with well no you're absolutely you're gonna pick me up on this i'll say nothing to do with communications i had a lot to do with yeah. communications yeah, yeah. But, but if you look at my role was, yeah in you know, the day-to-day, it yes. wasn't in a comms um, sense. Yeah, uh, it was certainly an influence. Um, being a, a forward observer in the artillery is certainly part of an influence strategy, but it's at the very kinetic end of, of influence. Yes. Um, and I I left it at 30 and decided I wanted to, to go and become a journalist. And and, and that the, the story you've you've heard earlier on about how that, that unfolded. Um, mm. I think at the time when I first left, I didn't really... I didn't really think I probably had any transferable skills to go into communications. Um, you know, everyone else I knew who, who, who was leaving was off to do sort of the, the kind of the standard things that people tend to do when they leave the army. Uh, Wait, just to go and work for a defence contractor? Well, some of that, but going yeah. into project management, going directly yeah. into the city, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of more obvious um, resettlement options. Mm. Uh, and I sort of, at 30, didn't have any responsibility, didn't have a mortgage, um, and thought, you know, what would I really love to do next? What would be my number two dream career? And it was, I'd love to be a broadcast journalist. And ultimately, I'd, I'd love to, I remember having a conversation in Afghanistan, you know, what does success look like for me? Well, it, it looks like coming back here to Helmand, to Afghanistan, and as a journalist, uh, which wow, I'm very nice. proud that I managed to do. Um, so... It, Did it, something it, it, inspire you to do that? Had you seen something? Had you been just been watching, you know, kind of British forces news whilst you're out there? Or 
Well, so I'd um, so if we go way way back, I when I was at school, I did two things of work experience. I did a work work experience within the, within the army. Yep. I did work experience at the local newspaper at the Shropshire Star. There we are. Nice. Um, and the two were always kind of. A, I was very interested in both of them, and, and the army, the army won out at that time. So I ended up going to Sandhurst and doing the army thing. Great. Yeah. Um, but then when I was, as I said. I had no responsibilities. I was like, right, I have no idea what I want to do. I can't see myself going and doing what everyone else is doing when I leave the army. I'd been at the army in the army at a very busy time, mm. done a tour of Iraq, two tours of Afghanistan, and thought, right, I need to go and do something else. And it, I kind of started thinking about journalism again, thinking about these that week at the Shropshire Star when I was fourteen yeah. or whatever, and thought, I don't, I'm not quite sure that's what I want to do, but I really like the idea of of being. And I know it's corny to say it, the first draft of history, being where things are happening, being involved, in, you know, interviewing really interesting people, yeah. telling stories and really communicating. And I met quite a few journalists when I was in Afghanistan in my, my final tour on, in 2009. And I, I mm. got chatting to them, a lot of them, and went, look, hey, I've got this kind of crazy idea that I might want to become a, a TV reporter, ultimately. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the guys that we were we had ITV news embedded with us on one of the big main missions of that summer. Yes. Uh, and um, one of their correspondents, a guy called Geraint Vincent was, was with me with, with a company, three Scots. Uh, yeah. And I just said, look, when I get back to London, can I, can I come and have a chat? Can I come and spend a yeah, couple yeah. of days at ITV? And, and the rest is sort of history really. Yeah. Yeah. And you say embedded were was he coming out on patrol with you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was at, you know, he was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll send you the link sometime. It's the the report still on, on YouTube somewhere. But he spent a couple of he spent about a week with us on a, an operation called um, Panchai Palang or Panthers Claw, as it was named, which was the main push yeah. in the summer of two thousand and nine. Uh, and yeah, I mean, he was on a rooftop with me while we were both get, getting shot at. And um, wow, he did a, he did a piece to camera for News at Ten with me calling in artillery fire just in front of him. Um, so yeah, he was definitely embedded with us out on. Wow, out. yeah. And yeah. uh, and what was that? I want to know, yeah, because what that's like. Because obviously you're you're clearly obviously focused on your actual job, mm. which is the army bit, yeah, and the fighting bit, yeah. right? But then you're probably also conscious that you've got a civilian journalist lying on a rooftop next to you that you're trying not to get killed, yeah. And, and what's that like? Yeah. Well. <laughs> it's i mean we had quite a lot of pressures on that tour so we, by that point we were quite yes. pleased it. but you are yeah you're very aware that everything you're doing is well you, you know it's going on news at 10 that night um so mm. yes you, you kind of have to have an extra sort of eye eye out which which actually helped me really late in my later in my career the next career when i would meet soldiers mm. on the ground they look i'm a journalist you know yeah. I've been there. I know that you're worried that I'm going to find the story that you don't want me to find. And I'm, I know what you're concerned about and that this is what I'm going to do to help you with this. And this is where we're going to try and be as honest as possible with each other. Um, so it, we, uh, that was a really, really interesting experience. But actually, that there was you know, a huge morale raising piece for the soldiers as well, um, knowing mm. that parents mm. were going to see what they were doing. on. on well, I'm actually, I'm probably quite worried, actually. But you know, their parents are going to see what they were doing on, on TV that yes. night. Mm. And I remember Garrett doing a uh, a live a, a live literally at the bottom of my bed space in this compound, 
and they had the the, the voice voice back, whatever it's called, on the on a speaker, and I could hear Alistair Stewart and Mary Nightingale sort of saying, "We now go live to Garen Vincent, who's in Helmand," and I'm there sort of lying in my oh wow on the floor, yeah, it's surreal. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was great. So yeah, Garant and Dave, his cameraman, were there, and and they spent a you know a couple of weeks with well, a couple of weeks with us. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to obviously go end up working back at ITV News and and see them in the newsroom as as colleagues um, mm. later on in my mm. career, which was fascinating. Mm. But, but yes, going back to the point, I mean, yeah. I I saw the the idea of going back to Helmand as a journalist or go back to Afghanistan as a journalist as a as a real key part of my my journey, mm. and actually. Mm. Um, one of the one of the very strange moments of that journey was in the same place where we were with Geraint and Dave yes. in in um, in Helmand, where I went back. I was there about two years later, maybe, um, and where we'd been in quite a a vicious firefight. Um, mm. It was now a thriving bazaar, and life was sort of returning back to wow. normal. There was real stability. Yes, um, which was incredible. Um, but I was also able to go to a compound that the Royal Engineers were rebuilding, um, mm. and they were building it for a, an Afghan national police station, I think. And I, I sort of looked at this map, and this engineer sergeant, I think, went, "Oh, we're, we're rebuilding it because the British artillery just, just destroyed it in a firefight a couple of years ago." Mm. And I'm mm. pretty sure it was me that dropped the artillery on that compound. Um, mm. So to go back and really see that and go actually, well, this is this is very strange being back here a couple of years later with a, you know, now in a bright blue body armor, um, uh, being somewhere where I was two years ago when it was a very very different different part for me. So mm. that was that yes. was a really really interesting part of my career. No, yeah, 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 really fascinating and also, um, yeah, I think 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 quite a poignant sort of point you make as well that not many people will be aware of as the. Um, yeah, a lot of time and effort invested in the aftermath of yeah, you know, kind of the British Army going back and yeah, you know, sort of rebuilding a lot of that infrastructure for the better good, um, which probably a lot of people don't know about. And even actually, to be honest, until you mentioned it, I'd actually forgotten about it too. So yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think the point was that it, it, it was a reason why we had a pretty hectic fire, you know, hectic firefight there was because it was a really mm. area. So. Once the stability had sort of returned, it needed to make sure that, that area was secure for the for the future. Yes, yeah, no, great, and um, yeah, and and taking some of those lessons, yeah, sort of into your corporate career. Uh, well, no, actually, no, no, let's let's skip that bit. I think, um, yeah, I mean, I'd love to know actually yeah, what it was like, sort of on the British forces, journo side of things. So yes, yeah, so you went back out to Afghanistan. What other yeah, yeah kind of gigs did you do there? Uh, so I spent three months there working for British Forces Broadcasting um, as a for, for their TV channel. Mm. Um, so it, someone asked me about it the other day, actually. It's very odd to be talking about this twice in the same week. But um, going back going back as a, as a journalist was fascinating because as a soldier, you're really focused on what you're doing in your area yeah. of life you're really focused on just your your kind of mission and you've got a bit of awareness obviously about the strategic piece etc yeah, yeah. but going back as a journalist suddenly you've got this really holistic view and you're yeah. yes you're embedded with troops and you're going out with the british you know went out with the americans and uh with the afghan army as well and some of their female engagement teams and all the different elements we went out with and you're going and going to kabul and meeting the ambassador and seeing it a really kind of high level 
and suddenly you see the mm. bigger picture, which is really, really interesting. Um, so I found that that tremendously rewarding. But it was very odd being back, and you know, some of my soldiers who I'd been there with in two thousand and nine were were back out again when I went there in two thousand eleven, two thousand and twelve. So they were yes. quite surprised to see me in in uh, my North Face gear as opposed to um, you know my my uniform. Um, so it yeah, was great. Yeah. I really loved. It. I really enjoyed going back. Yeah. Um. And what did that feel like for you, sort of personally? Uh, get, yeah, kind of walking around with a microphone instead of having an SA80 in in your hands. Did, did you feel? Uh, yeah. Did you feel less secure or a bit nervous at all? Or yeah, of course it is. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's a weird feeling when you're getting shot at and you you haven't got a you haven't got anything to shoot back. You've got a rifle to shoot back. Um. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think I think with one sort of start major, I said, oh, you know, don't worry if it all goes horribly wrong. I can I can still remember how to use one of those, and he was just looked, he looked even more terrified than the fact there was a mm. contact going on. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it it was weird. Yeah, it was very weird being there and just trying to film it all and not kind of let let everyone else sort of worry about what's going on. Um, yeah, and and I guess you've also got the um, you've got the journalist bit of you as well that. Um, I'm trying to think how to phrase this the best way. Yeah, you, know, you want to capture the most newsworthy action, mm. right? Which often means yeah. you have to get. But as also, close I, had, as you I can. had to really remember that I wasn't a soldier anymore, and mm. you know, it, I had to listen to what you know. Obviously, you could really listen to what these soldiers are saying around you. They're there to look after you. What they don't need is a rogue, uh, retired army officer basically going, "Oh, don't worry, I'll be fine." <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I had to sometimes mm-hmm. be like, okay, mm. remember where you are, James. Remember where you are. Yeah. Yeah. No. Great. Super. Um. So let's yeah. So let's go back to corporate career, mm. comms campaigns. Um. Yeah. What's been the yeah? What's been your favourite comms campaign you've worked on and why? Um. I I, I thought long and hard about this favourite campaign and. I think I'm going to refer back to actually. This is a, quite strange to talk about, but probably one of the first things I did when I left, and it's back to that time in, in Network Rail, and it and it really refers to all the things that we we talked about earlier in terms of jumping over the fence from journalism to, to comms mm. and um, and being exposed to what's going on behind the scenes. And I was working in Network Rail, based in in London, um, and we were one of the one of the areas I had to look after was the, the the kind of public perception of the, the redevelopment of London Bridge Station. Yeah. And there'd been quite a lot of negative press. It was, I think it was running over time. I'm sure it was probably running over budget. Uh, people were getting delayed because they were, you know, they were redeveloping it whilst keeping it open. And there was quite a sort of infamous photo of somebody jumping over the ticket barrier because the barriers hadn't worked or something. And every time the story came up again, this picture kept coming up. And mm. Mm. They, you know, the management, you know, the, the leadership were getting quite annoyed by this. Why do they keep using this picture? We've explained what the problem is. Blah, blah, blah. Don't they understand that it's a really complex build and we're trying to keep the station open whilst redeveloping what is essentially a Victorian station? And the, we, every mm. time we, un, you know, we pull down one wall, we found the, the, the room that we weren't expecting to find and we've got to mitigate against oh, that, wow. yeah. that. And we're trying to build a a platform that's as long as the shard is high and a concourse the size of Wembley football pitch, but they just don't understand. They just keep sending in this picture. And I said, well, mm. I didn't know any of that. Like, what do you, have you thought about telling people that? And they're like, well, it's on the website. Oh yeah. But no, no, no. Yeah. have you thought about really focusing on that? 
Well, yeah, yeah but every time there's some delays, you would just get a journalist standing at the front um, doing a live saying how bad we are. And I said, well, but you never put anyone forward, do you? you never put anyone to, to speak mm. to that journalist. And they said, well, no, because they're just going to twist our words sort of thing. And I went, well, look, that story's not going to go go away. Yeah, and you're uh, just going to continue to be a punch bag. Yeah, and I said, look, they'll just yeah. send a reporter to go and stand outside London Bridge. And do you know who they'll, they'll interview? They'll interview really angry commuters who are delayed. Well, what, well, they might not. I went, look, I did it two weeks ago. I was the reporter that was stood there voxing really annoyed commuters because there was no one else to talk to. Mm. And my mm. my news editor is not saying – my news editor is saying, James, you've got two minutes to fill tonight on the 6 o'clock news. If, in the absence of anything good, I'm going to just be talking to the, the annoyed people. Mm. Um, so I said, well, look, let's, let's bring a journalist in and let's show them how complicated this project is. Yeah. Um, it was a sort of what, what, a gasp, and I said, "Look, you know, this is this is really interesting." And I've had a walk around on the bridge station. And I was sort of taking behind the hoardings and showing it all, and said, "Look, you know, this is the problems we find these arches." And mm. I said, "Look, a journalist would love to know all this. Love to know." Yes. This. So we got someone in. We got a guy called Luke Hanrahan came in from from ITV London, who he was working for at the time, and, and gave him kind of a real walk around. And the result was this great, great package that went on the news that was, yeah, do you know what? I think that photo was shown again of them jumping yes. over the barriers. But it was then explained and said, look, you know, do you know what? People are annoyed. People want this. But but this is what they're trying to achieve. And these are some of the challenges they're coming up against. Mm. And whilst I don't think that that, and I think this is not a campaign. This is just a kind of one day in yeah, the office. Yeah, yeah. Whilst I don't think that completely turned around the public perception of London Bridge, I would I, I, I would be boasting if i said that was the case mm. i do think it started to change public perceptions and it, it started to change internal perceptions as well about how we should be working more closely with the media and how we should be being a bit more um open and transparent in terms of the challenges that we were facing mm. um because when you're doing major infrastructure projects it is going to impact people's lives of course it is but ultimately you're trying to do something that's going to improve people's lives create better opportunities for people so mm. that was one of my favorites just being i think it was because it was so so quick after leaving uh mm. and the fact that i'd been on both sides literally been on both sides of the story was mm. was really really interesting for me to be a part of yeah and you make a really good point around the uh i know you said that yeah that one piece may not have completely swung the public perception but um i what a lot of people also don't necessarily realize doesn't necessarily have to overtly swing the public perception just off that but if you've then shown the media the actual challenges shown them around they understand it suddenly their lines of questioning become a little yeah. softer a little bit more sympathetic and then naturally that actually starts to change the public discourse anyway yeah <laughs> without having to actually do an onward campaign yourself it's just actually questioning becomes softer yeah what it also did for itv is give them some fresh pictures that aren't just that still that's taken off twitter or whatever um mm. it gives them some fresh pictures to show why this is you know if we're talking about the work at london bridge we're not just going to show the pictures of people waiting to get in we're going to show some pictures of what we've got of behind the scenes behind the hoardings um, yes so yeah it was that was a really interesting one and it was a real sort of gamble for me um thinking oh you know i've really sort of said this is this is what we should be doing yeah so i was very, very glad yeah. when, it, when it went down 
it's quite well yeah, received. Yeah, such a huge thing for major infrastructure projects. You know, I mean, I think about, you know, I think about all the news coverage around HS2, et cetera, mm. and you know, all the video and the photo content and the stuff that lands well, you know, is all video and stills of the tunneling machines, you know, massive, big beasts that most people haven't seen before ever. Yeah. And it's yeah. interesting, right? But you have to, you know, you, you, you have yeah, to let the media in behind the scenes. And I know that can be very scary for a lot of operational people. Yeah, that, it's like, everything. Yeah. You know, I talk a lot at work about you know, the risk versus reward and everything. There's always mm. a risk with everything you do. As soon as you, you know, open the doors and or you kind of you go out externally, there's of course there's always a risk. But you always have to look at that kind of risk versus reward calculation and think, mm. okay, well, the risks, how we're planning against them, how can we mitigate those risks? What are the what are the awkward questions they could ask and how do we make sure we're prepared for it? But but the reward is greater. Um I mean sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes we sit down and go, and I have these conversations with my press team quite often, you know, risk versus reward in this one. Mm, risk outweighs it. Okay, well let's not do it. Let's not do it. Mm. Why not? Mm. Okay, because this well let's let's bear that in mind in future so that if something else does come up that's similar, that we might be able to more be more happy. Or happier doing it. So, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I think as long as you've got your ducks in a row, and um, yeah, everyone's been open, and you've covered all of your bases, you know, you can be fairly confident that most things fairly. shouldn't 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 land too badly. No, no. Um, yeah, I'm not saying that. Yeah, I think most of the time we, we you know, we, yeah, it's just about doing your job. Often, just about doing your job properly, uh, and again, making sure that comms are involved early on. And we understand yeah. what the, you know, if there are any skeletons, if there are any things that we should be worried about, that the comms are trusted to be to be briefed on that, and they can prepare for it. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. Um, what about your time at Acom? You've been there. How long have you been at Acom now? Good six, six seven and years? a half years. Yeah, half time years. is flowing. Time is flowing. Yeah. yeah. What's been your favourite campaign at Acom? Because you must have worked on quite a few over the years. Uh, <clears throat> gosh. Uh, yeah, I have. I mean. There's some really interesting things that we've done at Acom, um, and I, I joined Acom six, yeah, say six and a half years ago. And I originally joined as the, the head of media relations, and and then sort of transitioned to sort of more of a role of external relations, and then took over the marketing and communications team um, about mm. two and a half. Years ago. Um, there were some really interesting ones. I mean, I think one of my favourites is probably around the the natural thing called the natural capital laboratory. Natural really? capital laboratory. Natural capital laboratory. Okay, Google, yeah, yeah, yeah. Google, Google yeah. Stuff. Uh, it's a basically, and I'm going to get this wrong now. Uh, it's an area of land that we we have been loaned essentially on the on the edge of pretty much on the edge of Loch Ness and the Highlands. Okay. We're working with a couple of other partners. I think it's the Lifescape Project and the landowners as well to have an area where we can really. Um, we can really sort of play around with the concept of, of biodiversity, about natural capital, uh, look okay. at options. How can we use digital tools to understand the value of our natural capital? So how can we use AI? How can we use drones? How can we use eDNA sampling to find out the animals that once lived there? And how can we sort of start to transform it and think, well, if we really invested in this in the future, what would it look like and what would be the benefits? Because wow. Of our clients have got obviously got huge amounts of land, and often there's an element of well, what should we be doing with it? How should we be treating it? What is the value of that land? Mm. Capital laboratory really allows us to to look at that. And this is one of those stories that 
that started off as a an off the cuff conversation, as these as some of the best campaigns always do. Yes. Where you're talking to someone about one thing and they're saying, oh, and I've got to go up to Scotland from the Natural Capital Laboratory next week, so I won't be around to that interview about something that was far more boring. And you're, sorry, what was that? What's the Natural Capital Laboratory? Oh, it's this thing we're doing. And you're like, right, that sounds really, really interesting. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, I didn't know about it and I'm like, oh, okay, tell me more. I yeah. can't believe you didn't know about it, Max. Um, <laughs> so we formed a campaign around it. Mm. Um, we... we my on my very own in-house podcast talking infrastructure yeah uh there's an episode there about the natural capital laboratory uh we had journalists going up there we had the marketing uh you know marketing team supporting it as well and it sort of culminated in uh bbc country file going up there and basically spending a whole episode looking at natural capital laboratory um and it's been a really, really, and everyone comes back to it. It's always one that people come back to in terms of natural capital laboratory, ACOM's natural capital laboratory. And, it, it, and it's been it's been a real joy to work on. And we, we managed to win, a, I think we won an award on the sort of, on an ESG PR award about, around it. But it's been a really great one. Not only nice. just the way that it's, it's, we've seen it externally and it's gone from, okay, in-house podcast, trade magazines. It's been mentioned mm. in the press. It's been on one of the biggest, you know, highest, uh, watch shows on 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 the BBC, but also we know that people are talking about it. Our clients talking about it, and internally, it was great for sharing that corporate knowledge about what's a really quite a small project, but something that's really opening doors and starting conversations with clients about the innovative ways that Acom are looking at, at natural capital. So that's mm. been a really interesting one. Um, yeah, generally fascinating. Yeah, yeah, I'm fascinating. Have to check out loads more about it. Yeah, and the other one, which I won't go into the same detail, but I managed to get our autonomous vehicles project on the on the apprentice a couple of years ago um when there was an episode of the apprentice okay. was on uh, the, the the candidates having to design an autonomous vehicle for the future uh and i was able for for acom's uh, autonomous pod vehicle we work with a company called westfield cars i was yes. able to get that as the the project so we had uh karen brady and all of the apprentice yeah, yeah. in our office in london designing yeah. these pods um and uh that's, yeah that was fascinating that's pretty cool yeah, yeah the autonomous vehicle sector is uh yeah yeah great. i mean yeah kind of very interesting uh i'm gonna get the company wrong here so but i think yeah kind of the stories of whichever company it was doing the um doing the trials in san francisco a month or two ago um were uh, uh slightly alarming slightly amusing <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, look, yeah. again, actually, look, yeah. I wasn't going to talk about it, but the autonomous vehicles um, campaign, um, again, the Apprentice was a kind of was a result of all the other media relations and Marcom's activities that we'd done around it. Hmm. You talk about risk versus reward. We did lives with Sky News in Bristol when we had the autonomous vehicles um, being trialled around the Cribs Causeway Shopping Centre, and I had a. Okay. A news reporter saying, "If I step in front of it, it'll stop, won't it?" And of course it will. Of course it will. And then watch him step in front of it on live television. And there was a moment of like, "Okay, oh, I really hope <laughs> it does stop." Yeah, it does stop. Um, but that was really yeah. good. You know, the, 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 again, that you know, Acom is a, it's a huge organisation. We do lots and lots of different mm. things. But those are two projects that, yeah, they're really important for us. But they're probably not what we're we're known for. So they've been great to really. Um, push the boundaries in terms of our clients understanding some of the innovative projects that we're working on and and understanding how you know, the autonomous vehicles project for us for example wasn't about developing autonomous vehicles 
it was about understanding what are the impacts of autonomous vehicles on the built environment. So what are the mm. secondary and tertiary impacts of, and how do you bridge that idea? You've got the you've got the manufacturers who can make autonomous vehicles. You've got perhaps a local authority that really wants to, to have autonomous vehicles buzzing around their city centre. But how do you make that that connection? How do you bring everyone together? And that's the that's the gap that ACOM are able to plug. So it's that mm. bridging is, is corny, but we all say it's bridging that ambition to action. And so those kind of projects have, have really helped to, us to bring that that story to life. Mm, yeah, the innovation piece is really interesting, and yeah, it's very much newsworthy and media worthy. And um, yeah, I think it's I think it's an important note um, for any large established organisation. You know, it's really important to keep innovating and don't and don't stand still. Otherwise, you know, you'll get overtaken by whichever up and coming company decides to come along. So. Yeah, but you know, you know, it's again, it's that you know I talked about it earlier about understanding, you know, how do we influence our clients? You know, we listen to our clients and we understand that they want to work with innovative organisations. They want to see organisations that have got digital solutions driven through everything they're doing, and so therefore, it's really important to us that when we spot something that really showcases what we're doing, that we get it in there. It's not just because it's a good story. You know, the ruthless part of me is that's because I know that's what's going to win us more work. Our clients mm. want to. Acom is an innovative, digitally driven organization. So therefore, that's you know, when I find something that's going to show that off, I'm going to be all over it. Yeah. No, nice, great. No, and a really nice couple of examples there. I like those a lot. Um next question, which I always ask as well. Who's been your favorite CEO you've worked for in terms of their comms? I was hoping you weren't going to get around to asking me that question. Okay. Yeah, 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 I'm yeah. I'm happy to answer. I'm happy to answer it. Yeah, go on, go on. Um, although, you know, how did you? How did your the next podcast will be? How did your career end in communications? Is when you didn't say your current CEO was your favourite CEO. But anyway, we'll move on from that. Um, no, look, I'm going to go for um, you know, and she still works for Acom, so I have to be quite careful here. Um, not necessarily because she was the best communicator, mm. um, but because of the way that she really listened. So um, our, she and she's still yeah this is good yeah she is a lady called Lara Poloni who's who was our chief executive for for Europe um, when I was doing the head of media relations job yes and she came over she was working she'd been working for Acom for a long time and working in Australia and came to to Europe to take over the the region and she was really open to to my advice yes. really keen to learn really keen to be told and put on the spot and said, no, you need to be doing that better. You need to be more outgoing. You need to be relaxed. You know, it was none of this yes. I'm executive James and you're just the comms guy. It was like, James, help me out here. What do I do? Um, right. And, you know, we got her on various, you know, did, did got her in some various broadcast opportunities again, Sky, I think ITV as well. I think she might've been on as well. Um, and as well as the sort of the building press that we expected. Um, mm. and, freed up time for me so we for example when we were preparing to get her on more broadcast we went and rented out a studio in london in fact it was the old it was the the, the london live studio which is okay. part of the evening standard building and we rented it out for the afternoon and we just i went right. and pretended to be a journalist again and i just put her in on various you know on the sofa or at the desk and just interviewed yeah, yeah. the builder uh, and then we went through and feedback and went like this is Lara. This is this, this. You should be answering this better. You should be doing this better. You yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. And it was it was great. It was great. And 
she's now our global president. So I still very careful what I say. Um, but I really enjoyed working. No, with it, no, that. no, it's she fantastic. Was I think, open, um, she was mm. so open to it. Um, and then the, you know, the pandemic happened and I didn't work with her as much as perhaps I would have liked to. Um, but I, but I really like that. And I think that for me is, is what makes a good, well, the start of a good relationship with a, with a leader is them really understanding that, that there was a real value that, that the comms professionals can add. Um, and, and often those leaders and my current chief executive, Colin is a good communicator. I should get that in. Um, and they've got there because they can communicate because communication is a really mm. important part of leadership. And it's not just, communicating out listening as well yes. it's a really important two-way process so they've tend to often have a, a a pretty good base on things and they know how to deliver a, a you know a sign in front of a room with people and know how to do that mm. but there are more that we can do uh and so to have a leader who with that level of seniority who's really open to speaking to me and really open to listening and learning from me was was really great no that's great and i think um yeah the openness the willingness um also i yeah i get i i get the impression constantly likes to learn as well and very open on that and um yeah that probably explains why she's now got the promotion she has um yeah yeah and look you know i'd always say i would always say our leaders could be better communicators because otherwise i'd be out of a job but um <laughs> you know it's it, it's great to see somebody that is, is happy to do that and is humble enough to say come in and go right okay how can i be better how can we better at that? But I think that's a really important mm. going off the comms thing. I think that's a really important part of leadership is being happy to be challenged, to be happy yes. to be told that you can improve and that not having a people in the room that are always going to tell you how great you are, but being happy to have people in the room are going to say, mm, I disagree with you. Um, and when and I see people developing as leaders, and the moment that they're happy to be challenged, like that's an important step for you. Because now you can understand that you can use the expertise around you to make better decisions, make better outcomes. And it's not all about being the, the person that's right all the time. Um, yes. so, so I think, and that's where I think comms is a, is a much bigger piece in terms of strategy, in terms of, in terms of leadership. Uh, and mm. that's such an important part of any organization. Yeah, so important uh, for, yeah, you know, for CEOs to really embrace that, that comms council. You're right. Yeah, it's... Yeah. It's not just the external piece; it's the internal piece as well. You know, getting that buy-in amongst everybody, and um, and also I think, uh, uh, you know, particularly the way that you know, kind of ways of working have changed. Even even if you look at things like you know, sort of media relations over the last ten years, mm-hmm. and how a lot of that has changed, and how much you know, social media now is is so prevalent, and you know, CEOs almost need to be able to do little sort of vox pieces to camera <laughs> you know they never yeah. had to do that 10 15 yeah. years ago that's yeah, it and, so, and you know, I, different I, skill I, I better sing my current boss's praises a little bit here but colin mm. who is my current chief executive for europe europe and india i should say uh yeah he's he's great now at being able to pick up a phone or do it on teams doing a quick message and you see it land so well with people you know the mm. traditional just we're going to write a start of year message and it's going to be okay we had a great year off we go Blah, blah 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 great okay if nothing else it's better than nothing but the fact is that now we're he's, he's become very um very confident in suddenly doing a quick piece to camera um, yes and that's yeah. great and that's yeah and a, lot, yeah. And, and a lot more regularly as well i think yeah. um yeah you know yeah. a lot of employees 
you know, maybe it's a generational thing, but, you know, I think everyone under 30, they want that. They really desire that visible leadership on a regular basis. Completely. And look, actually, I think this is one thing that the pandemic has really, really done for us in terms of not only our ability to use technology, like we're talking right now, and we're all a lot more Mm. adept with it, um, but also I think we're all a lot happy with things being a little bit more rough and ready. Mm. Comes Mm. to video content, for example. Yes. You know, pre-pandemic, if we were going to get our chief executive to do a video, it would be, right, get the lights in, get the camera in, and that still does happen. That still doesn't happen. Actually, let's just get him to record something on Teams, or let's just get, you know, they've all got phones. Can we just record a quick message? And I think we see that on television as well. The fact is that Mm. when I was a reporter, you had to be in the studio or you had to be in front of camera. Um, now, well, actually, if there's a breaking story, why can't we go to their study at home or do, speak to them wh- wherever they are? So yeah, that's so true, actually. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the amount. To thinking things, okay, well, that's what would you rather have, as I say, an, an email that's just written because mm. you couldn't get a film crew in time to see Colin or just Colin mm. going, right, I've got 10 minutes. I'm going to get my phone out and then record something quickly. Um, and, and off we go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're so right. Yeah. I mean, I think if anyone puts on a rolling, you know, news channel now, mm. I'd say way over half of interviews when they interview a guest are the guests yeah. in their office. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Um, and they just clip it up with a couple of, yeah, like kind of headshots on the screen. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I mean, I think the, the days of when I was at, when I was at, I think probably when I was at Sky, you know, it was a very junior, well, I would sort of say taxi rank reporter where i was often just sort of given a postcode and told get there and figure out the story Mm. when you arrive but sometimes you would cover for the correspondent if it was a big breaking story you'd cover for the correspondent because the correspondent was at home and they needed to wait for them to come in yes you'd be like you know something pretty i don't know what i'm talking about but okay i'm basically just covering for them yeah yeah, Um, yeah. whereas now we'll just go to the person who's the, the best place to talk about it and do it at home um so yeah, it's changed. I think yeah. it's changed. I think it's changed for the good. Um, and I think I've, I've seen some pretty ropey and pretty poor quality interviews as well. So probably there is a bit of middle ground. But I do yes. think it just means that we're all more relaxed about the way we communicate, and we're we're a lot more confident in in our ability to communicate to people in ways that that hopefully really connects and really helps to get our messages across to them. Yeah, it lands a lot better. And um, actually, I think it's important, particularly for any B two B companies. Um, you're right. Yeah, I think yeah, there is a time and a place for for the polished video. But actually, mm. I, I think if you look at anything on, you know, LinkedIn particularly, where a corporate's put a video up, if it's if it's too well shot, it's almost a bit. You know what I mean? It's it, actually a lot of people just prefer something a little bit more rough and ready. Now you're so right. It's um, I've got to be yeah, careful. Interesting here, otherwise, change. My, yeah. you know, our, our leaders at Acom will be like, right, we want the marketing comms team is running around with our phones filming everything. But um, yeah, no, it's um. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, and drone shots as well and drone technology in the built environment as well. Great. Great bit yeah. of kit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, super. Yeah. Super. Well, look, yeah, look, I'm conscious of time. Um, yeah. Have you got anything you'd like to plug or any appearances um, Yeah, you've got coming up, James, at all? Um, I mean, all I'm, and I've been subtly drinking from my talking infrastructure mug here. So there we yes, are. Yes, talking infrastructure podcast, which I will plug. Yes. Plug the talking infrastructure podcast. Um, just, just in the process of launching our third series of it. Um, and again, you know, podcast, we found that. We launched it back in 2019. Yeah. You know, a variety of stories. Um, 
and it's been really really interesting we're engaging with with our teams and our clients so we're, we're just about to launch that third series first couple of episodes coming out around uh hydrogen uh, and one on a collaboration in the rail industry uh but there's a, a few others coming up as well over the new year but um yeah keep an eye out for that nice sounds interesting yeah and i assume that's on all the apple podcasts Spotify, all the apple you know. oh, yeah itunes spotify and we are we are actually recording it uh in a little studio just down the road from our office in oldgate now so we'll have video content as well um so nice. that'll be up on youtube so but we still have people dialed in don't worry we're not just going to get everybody in the room we still have people dialed in when it needs yeah. to be rather moving everybody nice. around for well look james it's been an absolutely fascinating conversation i've loved yeah, it and, um yeah no honestly yeah kind of some really good stuff in there and um yeah i'll make sure i put sort of relevant links in to everything you've spoken about as well because uh, i think everyone will be very interested so yeah yeah kind of great to chat thanks for coming on and um i'm sure i'll see you soon yeah will do max thanks very much for your time smashing cheers, cheers james bye bye